from Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We'll read that in connection with... Lord's Day 43 of our Catechism on page 893 in the back of your hymnal where we'll read together question 112 responsively concerning the ninth commandment. It asks, what is God's will for you in the ninth commandment? That I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, I should avoid, under penalty of God's wrath, every kind of lying and deceit as the very works of the devil. And in court and everywhere else, I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to defend and advance my neighbor's honor and reputation. Congregation, the um, title of this sermon I've I've taken from the psalm that we just sang a moment ago where um, David, in that uh, third and fourth verse, he he recognizes the power of words, uh, that words have the power to harm The words also have the power to heal, to to build up, and that being made in the image of a God who speaks 
He is to speak words that reflect God's righteous character. Not to speak words that lie, gossip, slander, twist someone's words, or condemn them without a hearing. That's what the ninth commandment requires of us, ultimately because of of the character of God who is truth. I was just reading this week in in the Gospel of John and amazed at the number of times that it identifies God, Christ, or, or the Word with truth. In John chapter 1, Jesus, who is referred to as, as the Word, says that he is filled with grace and truth. John chapter 4, um, God says that he wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. In John 8, Jesus says that his truth will set you free, unlike the devil, who is the father of lies and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. A few chapters later in John 14, Jesus tells us in that famous verse, John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And in that, that section, John 14 through 16, Jesus promises to send his spirit, who three times is called the spirit of truth. In John 17, right after that, he prays that God would sanctify his people in the truth, for thy word is truth, he says. And then again, in John 18, before Pilate, Christ identifies his purpose in coming into the world as to bear witness to the truth. And all of these different ways, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are referred to as the truth and thus remind us that to speak words that are true, therefore, is to reflect God's likeness. And to speak otherwise is in those ways that Lord's Day 43 speaks of is devilish. It reflects not God who is truth, but but Satan, the father of lies. And and so in, in the passage that we read just a moment ago from Ephesians 4, when Paul calls us in verse 25 to put away all falsehood and to speak the truth, He's calling us to reflect the character of God in whose image we're made by using our words to build up and give life, not to use our tongues like the serpent to tear down and destroy, which if we're honest with ourselves, we we do quite often. I thought about reading as well from the Westminster Larger Catechism where it gives a bit of a longer list of all the things that are forbidden in the Ninth Commandment. It's somewhat long, so I'll just summarize Um, parts of it it for you, but in in addition to uh, what we read from our catechism, the the Westminster Larger Catechism also speaks of how the Ninth Commandment forbids all concealing of truth. It speaks of undue silence in a just cause of speaking the truth unseasonably or or maliciously to a wrong end, of tail-bearing, it's a way of, of saying tattling, of whispering, scoffing, and reviling, speaks of rash, harsh, and partial censuring, of misconstruing another's words, actions, or intentions, of, of flattering, of, of thinking of myself too highly or uh, too meanly of others, aggravating their smaller faults, denying their good gifts and graces, unnecessarily discovering the infirmities of others, raising false rumors, or, or entertaining and receiving evil reports." I think if we all took the time to to reflect on the scope of the ninth commandment as our reformed forebears have applied it, we would recognize how much we need to hear this word from Ephesians chapter 4. 
that we might put off all of that devilish speech and use our, our tongues and our lips to reflect the one who is called the word and is called the truth, who never sins in any of those ways and calls us likewise to avoid these works of the devil and, and be recreated more and more after his likeness in truth. That's actually the context of our, our passage. That's why we started our reading a bit earlier where You see, in verse 24, God says to to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So that all of the instruction he's going to give in verses 25 to 32 is about being conformed to the image of God, who is truth. So that's what we'll look at this afternoon, considering first the um, devilish speech that Paul says we're to put off, and then we'll think about the godly speech that he tells us we're to put on. First, the devilish speech or works of the devil, to use the language of Lord's Day 43. What are the the kinds of of speech that we must avoid? Paul tells us first in verse 25, to put away all falsehood. That, of course, includes the the lying and deceit, the twisting of words that our our catechism mentions, the concealing of truth and and misconstruing the words and intentions of others that the Westminster speaks of. All of these are different forms of, of falsehood. When you misrepresent, misquote, or slander someone, when you tell a half truth or exaggerate, you are not putting away all falsehood. As our catechism would say, you were delighting in the works of the devil, the father of lies in Genesis chapter 3, who misquoted and slandered God, who told a blatant lie and continues to do so. When you delight in untruth, half-truths, or concealing the truth, when you misrepresent others, whether in verbal speech or online, when you slander, as verse 31 says, or deceive, you are behaving like the serpent. The one who is called in Revelation chapter 12, the accuser of the brethren, or in Revelation 20, the deceiver of the nations. When you slander, accuse, deceive, you're behaving like the serpent. That's why evil and cutting and, and condemning speech in the Psalms is so often spoken of with that that serpentine imagery, the the venom of asps or the the venom of serpents under their lips, the psalmist says in Psalm 58 and, and Psalm 140. Because to delight in untruth is to act like the serpent. One pastor said, every lie has the devil's accent. Every time we misuse our tongues, Every time we exhibit the kind of corrupting talk that verse 29 condemns or the the angry speech that verse 27 tells us gives a foothold to the devil. Paul's concern and the concern of the ninth commandment is with all of our speech, not just the, the technical lies, but using the tongues that we have been given in order to bless God, rather to curse his image bearers. Verse 29, not to build them up and to give grace, but to tear them down and hurt them. With the kind of, of bitter, wrathful, malicious, slandering, and clamoring that verse 31 speaks of. Verbal violence that reflects the character of Satan, verse 27, that, that fails to reflect the God of truth, verse 24, and grieves him according to verse 30. 
where right after condemning our corrupting talk and our using our speech not to, to build up our neighbor, but rather to tear them down, Paul says in the very next verse, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ian Hamilton explains the the connection between those two verses. He he says, Paul is making the point that when we use our mouths to harm rather than help fellow believers, the Holy Spirit who indwells us is grieved because we are dishonoring the Lord Jesus who lives in us, who lives in them. When, When we do not behave like God, not only, he says, do we provoke God's fatherly displeasure, but we actually grieve him. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and is affected when God's people use their mouths ungraciously and ungenerously. Boys and girls, when you use your mouths to hurt your brother or sister, when you tell a lie, you're not only dishonoring God, but Paul says you're grieving him. Husbands and wives, when you use your tongues to speak sharply towards your spouse, doing what Proverbs 12 says, speaking rash words that are like sword thrusts, you are grieving the Spirit of God who lives in you and lives in them. With your fault-finding or name-calling, your outright lies and deceit, you are grieving the Lord. Moms and dads, to use the language of the Westminster Larger Catechism, when you rashly or harshly censure or, or discipline your child, you are, you are violating the ninth commandment and grieving your father who does not provoke his children to wrath but knows our frame and remembers that we are weak and only ever disciplines us in love and, and calls us in our speech to them to reflect his heart of love. And when we fail to do so, we grieve him. We think about our, our speech with, with each other. That's the, the context of verse 25. When you speak ill of another brother or sister in Christ or when you twist their words and misrepresent them, when you slander and gossip about them and fail to protect their good name, Paul says you are undermining the unity of the body of Christ. Verse 25, notice there, he, he, he speaks of how we are all members of one another. We, we belong to the same body, And when we fail to speak the truth to or about each other and do not protect each other's good name and reputation, we are not only grieving the Holy Spirit of God, but we are tearing apart the unity of the body of Christ. When we do this online, mischaracterizing those we disagree with, even brothers and sisters in the Lord, labeling them pejoratively, we are undermining the unity of the one body of Ephesians 4.4. Also harming the church's witness to a watching world who sees us biting and devouring one another and sounding just like their father, the devil. And preachers can do this too, being, being sloppy with, with the labels by which we identify others, painting with a, a broad brush, calling everyone we disagree with either liberal or a heretic. That's not helpful. We're to avoid this kind of speech for the sake of the church's witness, for the the sake of the one body purchased with the blood of Christ and for the sake of the spirit who lives in us, who is grieved by our bitterness, slander, untruth, half-truths, and using our words as weapons. Those, according to Lord's Day 43, are the very works of the devil, serpent-like activity that has no place in the church of Christ, in Christian homes, or on Christian keyboards, but must be put to death. So that rather than corrupting talk, lies, and deceit, we put on the new man created after the likeness of God, 
who is truth. Paul says we're to use our words like he does, to build up, strengthen, and sustain. Verse 25, to speak truth with our neighbor, to seek their good and do what we can to defend and advance their good name. Verse 29, to build them up and give grace to those who hear. Be kind to each other, verse 32, tenderhearted and forgiving as God has been with us. Notice the motivation for the godly speech that it calls for is the tender-hearted grace of God toward us, who speaks not words that harm, but heal. Think of, of Psalm 12. We looked at that a number of months back where throughout that psalm, uh, David is, is speaking of, of the verbal violence of, of liars and deceivers who are hurling their serpent-like words at him. Yet in the midst of that same psalm, he he contrasts the words of those who speak like the servant with the word of God who is, that is, is pure. The words of God are pure like, like silver, refined the fire seven times. God does not use his language, his words, his speech the way that the enemies of David in Psalm 12 does or in, in Psalm 58 or Psalm 140, but rather he uses his words to speak truth that builds up and, and heals, that gives grace. And Paul is saying, so must we to others, speaking the truth because God is truth. And doing so in love because God is love. It is just before this section in Ephesians 4.15 where we started our reading. And Paul says that we must speak the truth in love. And then here, as he calls us to put away all falsehood, he, he concludes this little section of 25 through 32 by telling us to be kind to build up and to give grace to those who hear. This is important, I think, for, for us not to overlook in a sermon about truth because there can be a, a certain tendency for us to, to sometimes try to pit love and truth against each other as if the call to avoid falsehood justifies our speaking the truth, however rashly or harshly or insensitively, even using it as a weapon. That's why we need to hear the larger catechism when it says not to speak the truth unseasonably or maliciously to a wrong end or to be rash and harsh in our correction of others. These two are violations of the ninth commandment. In fact, to use the the truth in that way is hardly to speak the truth for the truth must be spoken, Ephesians 4.15, in love. That's why Christ, the very one who is called the truth, is the same one who says, I am gentle and lowly in heart, I will not quarrel or cry aloud of the streets of bruised reed. I will not break in a smoldering wick. I will not quench. The one who is truth is also love incarnate. And so he never weaponizes the truth, never exaggerates the truth, is never unduly rash with those who are not walking in truth, but he uses his words to give grace to those who hear. Everything that Ephesians 4 is positively calling us to is what Christ himself has done. It's who Christ himself is. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one who speaks the truth in love to give grace to those who hear. Lord's Day 43, who never gave false testimony against anyone, never twisted anyone's words, gossiped or slandered, never joined in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing, but avoided under penalty of God's wrath every kind of lying and deceit as the very works of the devil. And in court and everywhere else, even as he stood on trial before his death, loved the truth, spoke it candidly, and openly acknowledged it. 
while at the same time doing everything he could to defend and advance his neighbor's honor and reputation. This is how Christ himself fulfills the ninth commandment. And now calls us by his spirit throughout his, or through his, his apostle to put on his likeness, repenting of our falsehood and any and all failures to speak the truth in love. That's what the ninth commandment calls us to repent of. To behold the word incarnate who is truth and who is love. As we behold him, to to then see how far we fall short of speaking the truth in love like him. And then ultimately, to speak the truth about our sin, confessing it before him, and seeking that forgiveness of verse 32. Proverbs 28 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them obtains mercy. Likewise, Job says in Job 31 that we must not conceal transgressions as others do by hiding iniquity in our heart, but must confess it. A few weeks ago on on Reformation Sunday, we we saw the same dynamic in in Psalm 32. That David was miserable as as he was lying about his sin and, and trying to sweep it under the rug, trying not to disclose it, but it was only when he spoke the truth about his sin that he found that mercy. Being honest about our sin is a ninth commandment issue. That's why in the Westminster Larger Catechism, while while it calls us not to conceal truth, it also goes on to say that we must not think or, or speak too highly of ourselves, nor hide or excuse our sins when called to a free confession. Westminster Larger Catechism says part of speaking the truth according to the ninth commandment is not to hide or excuse our sins. We are called to a free confession. As the word of God from Ephesians chapter 4 exposes our devilish speech and calls us to put on the likeness of God who is truth. The first step in doing that is to confess our sins to confess the ways that we have used our tongues and our lips to gossip and slander and lie and deceive or even to use the truth as a weapon, using it maliciously or to a wrong end, grieving the heart of God, harming the body of Christ and undermining the witness of the church. Insofar as we have done these things, which all of us have, we must speak the truth about our sinful speech Look to the one who perfectly embodied truth in love and then died for our sinful speech, Lord's Day 43, under penalty of God's wrath that we might be forgiven and made righteous. As if every word we've ever spoken was pure. That's the gospel for those who repent of their sins. And it's the gospel that Ephesians 4, verse 30 and Ephesians 4, verse 32 um, uh, uses to to motivate us to this godly speech. Notice in verse 30 where where it speaks of of the Spirit of God who seals us until that final day of redemption. In verse 32, it speaks of God who, who forgives us of our sin. It's using the gospel of grace to motivate us to use our tongues and our lips in ways that honor the Lord. In fact, in the movement of the book of Ephesians as a whole, the the same dynamic is at play. The first three chapters are all about the gospel of grace, and then at Ephesians 4.1, Paul transitions to tell us, therefore, how we must live. He says, therefore, walk in a manner worthy 
speak like this and not like this. And that's the same movement also of our catechism. Lord's Days 5 through 31 are about God's grace in the gospel. Therefore, Lord's Days 32 to 52, the life of gratitude that we must live consists in avoiding the works of the devil and in our speech, letting it be conformed to the character of the one who died for our sin that we might live to serve him. The ninth commandment is in the gratitude section where the Lord our God has called us out of Egypt. Christ, as we heard this morning, has achieved that greater exodus and now gives us his law that we might love him and love our neighbor, not grieving the spirit of truth or harming the unity of the body of Christ, but using our speech for the good of our neighbor and for the glory of our God. That's what Christ calls us to this afternoon in the ninth commandment. And it's not only what he calls us to do in the ninth commandment, but, but it's also what he empowers us to do as he invites us to his table of grace, where as we confess in the Belgic Confession, he uses this table to move us to a fervent love both for him and for our neighbor as a means of sanctifying grace where the spirit of truth lifts our souls up to commune with the ascended one who is truth incarnate so that he might conform us by these means to his likeness. It is a table for those who, speaking the truth about their sin, are displeased with themselves because of it, but nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned because of Christ and desire more and more to strengthen their faith and lead a godly life. Using their speech not to harm, but to build up and give grace to those who hear, speaking the truth in love. May God, by these means, move us more and more to do that for his glory. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Christ who is truth, who perfectly kept every aspect of the ninth commandment for us, that as we speak the truth about our sin and confess it to you, his righteous speech might be imputed to us, that his spirit, the spirit of truth, might be given to us, that his same godly character and godly speech might be worked in us by your grace. Do that now, Father, even as we commune at your table. Make us to be people who use the same lips with which we praise you, the same lips with which we will partake of the elements in a moment also to speak the truth in love and to give grace to those who hear. Set a guard over our mouth and keep watch over the door of our lips that nothing else might come out of them but that which pleases you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.